The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It is the Palpably Unfair Podcast, episode 17, brought to you by the SB Nation NFL Show. I am your host, Michael Kist, and with me, as always, to break down all of Sunday's action like the football guy, guys we are, is Kyle Posey. Kyle, happy holidays, brother. How you doing? Well, man, happy holidays. We have one more week, and this bad boy is a wrap, man. Getting close to playoff time, and as we get close to playoff time, of course, our focus is going to shift towards that seating, towards quarterbacks that are hot or not heading into the playoffs and and all the implications therein and we are going to talk about some teams that have some serious questions uh, concerning them coming into the playoffs we're going to talk a little Tampa Bay Bucks and Tom Brady because that's going to be in our top quarterback performances of the week of course we are going to talk about uh, BLG brought this up on the podcast he's really in on the Buffalo Bills so we're going to kind of pick that apart because Josh Allen had a really good game this this past week, so we're going to get into their chances in the playoffs. We're actually going to talk about uh, some Eagles because Kyle is going to make me, and we're going to talk about some Dolphins. So again, another another playoff team focus there, and then we'll get to Kyle's three defensive MVPs of the week. And look, I mean, the, the first thing that I want to talk about here is, my, of course, my number one quarterback performance of the week, as we do every week, we highlight the top three, but... Uh, there are a couple of things. Since joining the Football Cheat Sheet, which is our Friday show here at the SB Nation NFL show, I am 1-0 and on Moneyline bets, as I said, to smash the Bucks in their matchup with the hapless Lions. And as such, Tom Brady is my number one performance of the week. And I also, by the way, said that I was more confident in this one than the Chiefs-Falcons because I was confident that the Falcons would force a weirdly competitive game and would at least cover the spread, and that game was in fact weird, and in fact competitive, and like a lot of Falcons games, should have been won by them, but was ultimately choked away like so many others. Uh, real shocker there. But dialing back to the Brady-led Bucks against the Lions here, this was a, a drubbing from belt to belt. Tommy threw for 348, four touchdowns, 12.9 yards per attempt, second only to Ryan Fitzpatrick, who had a much sa- smaller sampler size. We're going to talk about him in a second. But this turnaround for the Bucks' offense in the last three games is not just because the Lions stink. Like, I get that. Kyle right away, like, flagged to me, like, I watched this game and it looked like the Lions weren't trying. And I don't disagree with him. But I, I think it's a credit to the Tampa Bay coaching staff. And it comes down to some philosophical shifts on three things. Uh, number one, I think they have more quick game answers for pressure packages. 
Number two, a higher frequency of passing on first down. And number three, more play action, which is like a panacea for any struggling passing game because these days, well, I mean, well, okay, maybe excluding guys like Big Ben, Daniel Jones, Carson Wentz. But regardless, in the last three weeks, the Bucks have used play action at a 10% higher clip than they were before. So that's step one. Step two is fixing their early down issues, mainly first downs. And one of the big frustrations with the Bucks was their old school approach to balance on first down. They were running on over half of their first down snaps with the third worst rushing success rate. So they're just pounding it against the wall and they continue to do it week after week after week until they hit the buy. They took stock of things. They turned things around. Now they're among the league leaders in pass rate on first downs in that span, and their EPA per play is second in that span. So step three, answers to pressure packages. I don't know why it took this long, but Brady's been checking into some things that he sees when when he, when he sees blitz that they just didn't have in the offense before the buy, and as such, they've hit some explosive on things like tunnel screens. They get the ball out quick really exploit the numbers advantage on the perimeter when teams are bringing heat. So this is less about one performance against the Bad Lions team that has now allowed 40-plus points for the fourth time this season, uh, being led by Corey Unlin for whatever reason. I don't know why they hired him, former Eagles defensive backs coach that never developed anybody there. I'm not mad about it. Uh, this is more about a <laughs> philosophical shift in the Tampa Bay Bucks' approach to offense and the passing attack that has been going on since the bye. And, and Kyle, I know I have been extremely frustrated trying to figure out this team you have been extremely frustrated trying to figure out this team but now they are riding a three-game win streak with an offense that is humming granted there's some competition issues there with the defense but overall I think they're they're mentally in the right spot and they're and they're coaching the right way they've clinched a playoff spot Kyle are you with me is it time to get back on the Bucks pirate ship because to me it looks like they found their mojo we're getting closer that's for sure and talent is never the issue and talent will never be the issue for Tampa Bay it's just execution I think your second and third points were the big ones here so uh, play action huge first down play action especially is what they really killed the Lions on so they're running they love to run these vertical this vertical passing game and essentially there was one touchdown to Gronk where Tom's just playing with a free safety. I just felt so bad for that dude because he just <laughs> did not have a chance. But the checkdowns to the running backs were not there the first half. Like they just weren't there at all. And you mentioned the tunnel screens, and they didn't really break this game, but that's an option. So Godwin, uh, AB, like those are guys you want to get the ball out to when they're blitzing. So because it's going to be one on one. But I think it really goes back to being as simple as being able to check the ball down to four nets. So instead of a sack, you have a gain of four or five. And those are plays that keep you ahead of the chains and keep Tom Brady on schedule so they can continue to run the ball, which they had success running the ball against the Lions. I don't I don't think that they've been a very good running team all season, but I, obviously the play action kind of helps soften the secondary. So, I mean, all around, I do think they're just performing better, obviously, but they, they have an idea of what they want to be. And as you get to the playoffs, that's what you want to do. And I don't think we could say that about them you know, a month or so ago. Yeah. And Kyle, I'm interested in your thoughts on this too, because you have kind of a coach's mentality when it comes to play action in general. Uh, some people think, and I hear, we hear it from coaches all the time. We want to establish the run to set up play action. I think that's what the, the Bucks were trying to do. So they were trying to establish the run. They were failing at it. And then they weren't using play action as much because they weren't, well, we didn't establish the run. We didn't have a certain threshold. We didn't have five yards per carry on 15 or 20 right. carries. So we really couldn't do it. Like I, I've always thought, found like when is the run truly established? But how do you feel about play action? Do you need a solid running game as a defensive coordinator? Do you respect or the, the run more if it's established? Like how does that all boil down for you? So I, 
I, I mean, if you go the analytical route and you're, you're going to say the run doesn't impact the play action, but we, I think we have to go to the human element and factor that in. So linebackers and safeties, if they're getting gashed, they are going to take those read steps a lot more quicker and try to fit the run. So yes, the strong running game does affect the play action. And, and the Lions game is a perfect example because they weren't doing anything special. They were just running like dive, lead, inside zone. They were They were having success. So as soon as you see that, that play action game, linebackers, nowhere to be found, hang defenders, edge guys, uh, safeties, just nowhere to be found on the second level. So I think it absolutely affects just the defense and their mentality when it comes to play action. But I still think you you can run play action, especially against certain teams. I mean, I watched the the Eagles, and there are, there are teams like this too. Like Minnesota's real fast to flow with their linebackers, except for their linebackers are really heady and covered, so maybe that's a bad example. Maybe Philadelphia, where they have zero linebackers. <laughs> They're so fast to flow, regardless if the run is established or not, because the first thing they want to do is stop the run on early downs, right? To, to force third and long, let, the, let them rush with four and make Schwartz look like a genius because he's got four studs on the, on the defensive line. Yeah. But they're so fast to flow regardless of the situation that they're so out of position. So I think there are teams where you don't necessarily have to establish that run at all. That's just kind of the way that they're coached. That's the way that they penetrate, that they flow. That's the the, the mindset of the defense. So a little, a little sidebar there. Let, let's get back on track. Let's get back to the top three performances of uh, the week with week 16 of NFL action. Let's go to Josh Allen from the Buffalo Bills. So I, I don't know if you saw it, Kyle, but Josh Allen to Stephon Diggs, that touchdown from eight yards out was just incredible. Like this is this is first and goal. They are already up 31 to nine on the Patriots. They motion Cole Beasley across the formation to the nub side, trying to get him to the perimeter fast before the guy traveling with him can get out there. But the Patriots have this covered up well. Now, a normal NFL quarterback sees this, takes stock of the situation. Says, okay, my primary my primary read, which is the only read on that side, is covered, right? They they got us on this one. So let's throw this 15 yards out of the end zone. Let's live to play on second down. But Josh Allen is not an NFL uh, quarterback, not a normal NFL quarterback, excuse me. He spins around. He sprints to his off-ball hand side with a guy chasing after him. He ends up 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage. He flips his hips has about a half second to identify Diggs crossing along the back line of the end zone, fires a perfectly placed missile. Like, this is what me and Kyle have talked about when we say that to be a special quarterback in the NFL, you have to be able to create because there is zero issue with killing this play immediately. It's probably the smart thing to do. Right. <laughs> but to, to be special – you got to do that cuckoo bonkers stuff, and not many guys have that kind of magic in them. Like, like that's a Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, like not many others type of stunt. Like, those are the guys that can do that, and Josh Allen can. And before uh, I get to my take on this, Kyle, BLG made the case for the Bills being Super Bowl contenders on Tuesday's oddcast here on the SB Nation NFL show. I'm going to put you on the spot and see, because I know – you know, we're both Lamar fans and, and they've had a great point differential and they're getting hot at the right time. Maybe the Steelers got their groove back. Who knows? But if you had to pick like one team in the AFC to take down the Chiefs in the playoffs, is it the Bills or is it somebody else? How you feeling there? Yeah, I'm not sure. I feel like we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when yeah. I feel like the Bills are the team just because they are smart on defense and not, everybody's going to have flaws and teams are not. Every, obviously, every team is not going to be, you know, A1 at every statistic or whatever. So the Bills, a lot of times people bring up their run defense, but I, I'm okay with having a bad run defense if I can stop the pass, if I can score 30 points, and if yeah. I have a quarterback that can make 
plays like Josh Allen is making every single week. Like what he did on Monday was not an anomaly. That happens every week, man. Like he's a special player. So you're going to have to have somebody that can make plays and match those special throws that Mahomes can make. And I think their safeties are smart. So um, that's another thing. The Chiefs always tend to take advantage of teams with bad safety. So I, I love the Bills here, man. And uh, if, if there is a team that I would bet on, it would be the Bills. But I wouldn't, as you mentioned, the, the Ravens are sneaky and the, they are aggressive and they have speed. So um, that would be my number two right there. But those two are the only ones that I feel would feel good enough to to compete with uh, the Chiefs. How about you? Well, I think I think the Ravens are up there for me, but I kind of wanted your thoughts on that on that, too, because it really does feel like they've kind of, I don't know, turned a corner I still have concerns with the weapons that they have, but I mean, when Lamar is playing at the top of his game, he's, he's unbelievably hard to stop. And they're going to have, you know, a fantastic defense from year to year. They're like one of the only defenses outside of maybe the Legion of Boom that might end up with, uh, I think, like four or five consecutive years in top five uh, DVOA, which is just an unbelievable accomplishment for the turnover they've had, the injuries they've had too in the past, uh, and still landed in the top five. I just feel like people are pe- people have this idea of the Ravens that comes from the midseason and has not adjusted to what they've done lately, right? So the, with the Ravens, I think the Giants game is a perfect example. Greg Roman has finally realized that you are allowed to throw routes to the second level. And <laughs> who knew the Ravens offense is starting to look good. I think the Giants game was a great example of that. Even in the two-minute drill, if, if you haven't watched that game, just watch what Lamar does in the two-minute drill. He had two explosive runs to get him down there. And they're throwing these second-level crossers to Mark Andrews, and that's kind of hit their bread and butter. And then they have those isolation routes, too, to Hollywood on the outside that, you know, we don't just have to throw go balls to him. (laughs) We can do other (laughs) things to Hollywood Brown. But the defense, man, there was a stretch in the third quarter where they blitzed Daniel Jones on four consecutive plays, and (laughs) and it felt like they were just picking on their little brother, man. It was ugly. But they're starting to figure out what they can do on defense – They have guys that can cover, and we'll get to one of those guys later in this podcast here. But I just think, man, again, best players. Lamar Jackson is essentially the answer, the long-winded answer here. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely with you there, and I like that that context with the Roman offense. I think going going back to the Bills because they're kind of my team. That's like okay, they're they're serious, and the Chiefs are in a little bit of trouble. Like I've been saying, it's the Chiefs and everybody else. I don't know if that's necessarily true right now because of the struggles that are going on with the Chiefs' offensive line. They are starting two. Of the five starters that they had from the Super Bowl along that line, they're starting like a UDFA, a couple seventh rounders. Like it's it's pretty ugly for them up front. Patrick Mahomes is a top five pressured quarterback in the last four weeks, and it's really affecting his his performance there. And I think this Bills team, they're just a, a completely different build from what they were last year. Like last year, I called them paper tigers when they were five and zero. I didn't I did not buy them at all, and I loved Brian Dable, so I was an early adopter of his stuff, but. I saw a team that had a top-tier defense keeping them in rock fights week to week because the offense could not put up the points. And it was in part because they didn't have the weapons. And frankly, Josh Allen wasn't good last year. And and as such, they were one and done in the playoffs against one of the worst remaining defenses in the playoffs, that being the Texans in that crazy, entertaining, overtime wildcard game. This year, that's not the case at all, man. The defense has been like better recently comparatively, but they are not as good as the 2019 version. But it doesn't matter. Like like Kyle said, if, if your main weakness is run defense, man, I do not care. Uh, they got a true wide receiver one in Stephon Diggs that's been absolutely on fire since week 13. Josh Allen has the lowest percent of uncatchable passes from a clean pocket per PFF, which is the most absurd turnaround in accuracy that I have ever 
seen. I don't think anybody could have like realistically seen that coming. You're crazy if you if you call that. They're also second in scoring in the last three games, six on the year. Like I I could go on and on, but I'm in love with this team. And my Buffalo Rumblings T-shirt is on the way. I ordered it during the Patriots game. Uh, by the way. In the post-game news, I don't know if you saw the, this clip, but this dude, uh, Bob Halloran, Halloran uh, said the baton of arrogance was being passed from the Patriots to the Bills after the fake punt conversion, which is a banger of a line. So I, I'm with BLG on this. I'm all in on the Bills. Um, I know I'm known as Music City Mike, as Pete Sweeney often calls me, but I've traded Titans for Tables in 2021 baby and uh actually that's something i wanted to ask you kyle i think everybody kind of has a second team that they low-key love and 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 follow and if their team sucks which i mean my team sucks right now and uh, your team isn't all that great either that that, they kind of root for or do you only have do you only have eyes for the 49ers or do you have a second team so i've always just followed players like in every sport so i don't really have yeah i don't really have a team but there's always guys that i root for so as long as deshaun jackson is alive i'm going to watch whoever he plays for. Unfortunately, he hasn't been playing because he's healthy. But as we saw last week, man, he's still like a fun player, deep ball guy to watch. The other guy was Cam Newton, who, well, we know how that is going this year. So those those have been pretty much my guys um, throughout the last decade or so that I've been watching. I feel you. because, Like, I'm a big Chris Godwin guy. We've talked about him. So I'll, I'll watch him, you know, when he's playing. I'll, I'll, I'll root for the Bucks that way. So I, I, I get that. Uh, let's go to my number three quarterback performance of the week. And this is less about a performance just because I talked about it on Monday Football Monday. It was the my yeet of the week. And, I'm, of course, I'm talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick, who comes in and just delivers a, a, a magical uh, throw 38 yards in the air to Mac Hollins to set the Dolphins up in field goal position while getting his face ripped off just incredible mechanics on that one uh, i have it up on my timeline if you haven't seen it but a gorgeous throw there is something so odd going on in miami kyle and i'm actually wondering do you start Tua? do you start ryan fitzpatrick or do you continue to be brian flores and be like hey man if you can't you can't do the thing then i'm gonna I'm I'm pull you i don't care who you are i don't care when you're drafted i don't care how long you've been in the league i like it's amazing what he's doing and it actually seems like Tua. And Fitzpatrick, it feels like like none of them are taking it personally. It's 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 wild. Yeah, I don't know, man, because it's in the weirdest way. You can say that it's working because they're winning. But at the same time, the playoffs are like, I, I don't know their playoff scenario, or like what they need to do to get in. But I imagine they have to win or something along those lines. The playoffs are here. Like you have to win and you have to have a guy who you trust. And it's clear that. When it come when push comes to shove, they don't trust Tua, or else they would not keep pulling him. So in that sense, you would think that why not go with Fitzpatrick for four quarters? Because if you just watch one drive of Fitzpatrick and you watch one drive of Tua, the offense looks night and day. They can actually throw the ball down the field. They actually attempt throws down the field which opens up everything else for your offense. And I imagine the receivers are more happy because they know they have a chance, but that's not to like completely take a dump on Tua because it's not like he's been awful. It's just that Fitzpatrick brings more to the offense. So in that sense, like why not roll with the best guy? But I mean, if they can get some out of Tua, whether it's more RPOs, whether it's using his legs, whether it's the bootlegs that they were doing early in the season, then sure. But if that's all you're limited to, then I understand why you roll with Fitzpatrick. What's your take there? Yeah, I mean, Tua is a rookie, and I and I largely find, and we actually might talk about this in a second here when we when we do uh, do you have a quarterback? I largely find 
rookie quarterback performances to be a lot of noise and you really don't get a lot of takeaway from it unless they're just like balling out like if if you see Justin Herbert like you there's no way you can say oh this is just noise he he, he can't play you know we, we gotta wait and see like I think it's pretty clear he can play yeah. but if a rookie struggles I'm not so concerned at the same time if a rookie is struggling do I play him when the offense I think is clearly better but also more volatile with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like, yeah, I think Ryan gives you a, a, a better chance at winning, but I feel like he gives you a worse chance at playing the way that the Dolphins want to play. Does it? Does does that make sense? You know what I mean? Absolutely. So I 100% agree with that. The floor isn't the same because right. Tua is not going to take those same chances that Fitzpatrick makes, and Fitzpatrick's going to roll out and give the defense a chance to make plays too. And that might scare Flores, especially knowing, you know, their defense might give up big plays and they're going to need some stops and they don't have the greatest pass rush. So in that sense, I could see why they want to play it safe, closer to the vest, knowing, hey, we might not score 28 points, but we're not going to give the defense a short field either. So it's right. a, it's a um, man, they have a lot of tough decisions there. So I understand. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start Ryan Fitzpatrick, and if he throws an ugly pick, I'm bringing in Tua. And if Tua can't move the ball, I'm bringing back in Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I'm doing and, and this is all in one quarter, by the way. I'm doing all of this in one quarter. I'm, I'm bringing him in, bringing him out. Just to, <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. But I think I am starting Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think he gives them the best chance to win. He played good football last year. Like I think people forget that he. He was solid and he was playing good football before he got benched too. Yeah. Like yeah. he's been good, man. And plus, I mean, I can't see him without bias. He's one of my favorite players in the NFL. I think he's one of the most likable NFL players in the NFL. And I think he's handled the situation with Tua absolutely magical. This is why they bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick to a team that's going to draft a quarterback because he handles it so well. The problem is he outplays a lot of your rookie quarterbacks. So that, that's his own catch 22. Let, let, and with the Miami playoff scenarios, you mentioned them. Let's talk about them because the, the Dolphins can win and get in uh, and return for the postseason for the first time since 2016, uh, only the third time in the last 20 seasons. The Dolphins can also get in with losses to either the uh, the Indianapolis Colts, the Tennessee Titans, the Cleveland Browns, and the Baltimore Ravens. So they actually have a chance to get uh, get some help. Uh, so I would say their chances are, are pretty high of getting in the playoffs there. So they definitely have some decisions to make when it comes to that. Speaking of decisions to make, uh, let's talk about uh, do you have a quarterback? This is one that Kyle wanted to bring up and give me crap about because uh, a lot of people – and look, I was not one of these people that was extremely – hype and overreacting to the first couple weeks of Jalen Hurts as a starter. I thought he played well enough. Uh, I, I don't think it was a clear signal that he was definitely the guy moving forward. However, I don't think Jalen Hurts' performance against the Dallas Cowboys really changed my opinion at all. Benjamin Solak had asked me on the Kiss and Solak show, Mike, what does this game do to your confidence as far as Jalen Hurts being a long-term starter? And it didn't change at all. Like for, out, of a, out of a one to, to ten scale, I said it was a four last week. I said it was a four this week, again, I think rookie quarterback performances, especially when they struggle, is a lot of noise. But he was not good against the Dallas Cowboys. Kyle, what did you see? Yeah, so when we're talking about this, and it's easy to just look at the scoreboard and think, oh, he must have played really well. Or you look at the box score, or you see the highlights and think, oh, man, he's lighting it up. But that's a good point where... It, we just shouldn't be moving the needle that much for every star for a rookie guy because you have to think I, how much how much has he actually seen? What can he really gain in practice running scout team QB or these last few weeks running 
you know, they're no, you're not going to get pressure in practice. So of course it's not, it's just tough to simulate what you can do. So these are like the first time, essentially this is what his third preseason game that he's playing. Right. So it, it's really tough to, to be down on Hertz, but yeah, if you watch him, he just, I, I think it's fair to say he wasn't good and that's okay. Right. Um, he's, he's just not trusting what he sees right now, but again, it's the third preseason game, quote unquote. So yeah, I, I don't think he looked like, you know, the guy that he looked like the last couple of weeks, if you want to talk in those terms. But again, as you said, he's a rookie, he's a rookie quarterback and that's going to happen. Like, duh, is my real answer is like, he struggled. <laughs> Who knew? And, and you, you mentioned like, you know, the practicing and what is he really going to get from that? The Eagles are kind of installing a whole new offense. Like they're installing like his college offense into their current system. I have the Eagles like playbooks and and installs. None of that stuff is in there. This is new to like everyone there, man. I'm telling you. So uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, defenses have definitely adjusted to Hurts. I want to see in this last week. Washington has has a solid enough defense, and they're going to get pressure on Hurts. And I want to see how Hurts manages that. And maybe we'll talk about some potential options for the Eagles like uh, later on the show here. But let's get let's get to the break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Kyle's three defensive MVPs from Week 16 action. We'll talk about who stood out and. Uh, uh, that's coming up next. You're on the Palpably Unfair Podcast. And we are back here on the Palpably Unfair Podcast, episode 17, brought to you by the SB Nation NFL Show. Just a reminder, guys, if you love us and you love what we do here, make sure you go to Apple Podcasts, leave five stars, leave a written review, tell us who you love, tell us what you like, and uh, say your following directions. I don't care. Just put something in there. Give us some Give us some love. If, if We really would appreciate that. Anyway, Kyle, this is your time to shine. Every week, we go to the defensive side of the ball. And we pick MVPs from every level of the defense. We go trenches, linebackers, then defensive backs. Who in the trenches impressed Kyle Posey in Week 16 of NFL action? So I'm always I'm always a big effort guy. So when I see a 265 pound man sprinting from sideline to sideline, chasing down ball carriers, one I'm terrified, two I'm impressed, and that guy was Chase Young, who is unbelievable, man. Every time I watch him, he just continues to impress. On the first play from scrimmage from the Panthers, Chase Young beat the left tackle on a speed rush for a QB hit. On the next first down, he would have had a tackle for loss, but the left tackle held him. The refs did not call it for whatever reason, but that's just how Young has been all year. He's just been a dominant player, and you see that every game where he's impacting a play, sometimes without getting to the quarterback, and it's not always these flashy plays. Young does his job, whether that's standing up an offensive lineman, whether that's not getting reached, whether that's occupying blockers so the linebackers can run free behind him. Uh, Washington smartened up after those first couple of drives and started to double team him, whether that's chipping him or just having an extra blocker his way. But that didn't work. It doesn't matter. And that's when you can tell Young is a superstar and that he's special. So on there was a first and goal play where Carolina tried to run a split zone against him. And this kind of tells you the versatility of Young. So instead of just bulldozing through the blocker, he gets skinny, beats the blocker and makes a tackle for loss. Those are just the type of plays you see every drive, whether it he just finds different ways to win, man. And that's what's so impressive to me. That's what makes him a superstar. Again, I talked about watching him sprint from side to side. He finished the day with a sack where he did force a fumble when he gets there. So, again, we always talk about making plays when you get there. He did that. He also had a QB hit. He had a couple other uh, three other stops, I believe. You just can't block him, man. So uh, good luck, NFL, with dealing with him for the next decade. I would not want anything to do with him. Honestly, he's going to be like one of the five best players in the NFL within the next two years. And he is the uh, odds-on favorite to be the rookie of the year. Who could have seen 
Uh, that that coming. I mean, good lord. I I thought he would was going to be a little bit more impactful. Like I thought he was going to have like a Bosa type, like you know, first season, like Nick Bosa. Uh, but at the same time, what I've seen from him lately, and by the way, holy crap, have you been watching Jonathan Allen right next to him? Uh, yes. <laughs> Again, maybe do we give Young credit for that? Because Allen, who has been fine. He's been like really good this year. So yeah. is that because of the young now that they have like a dude next to him that Allen's Allen's Towns coming up? I don't know. That's a great question. But yeah, Washington, man, they're set up front for the next few years because they have a couple edge guys like Montez Sweat, good too. So they have guys. Yeah. And like even when you get like down like so Deron Payton, like people people know him. He's he's a first round pick. He's really talented. So built along that defensive line. That's why they can compete with a lot of these teams, man. Like their record looks bad. But, like, think about what they've gotten at quarterback this year and think about the games that they've been in that they really shouldn't have been in because of that defensive line. If you win in the trenches like that, you 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 have a chance, man. I mean, look at the Steelers. Their, their offense has been buns for a while, but their defensive line is, like, the best in the league. So, yeah, it's going to keep them in games. It's going to put them in fortuitous situations. Like, I really think that the Steelers were saved by T.J. Watt on that uh, that strip fumble in the first half because the Colts beat the crap out of the Steelers in the first half. The only reason the Steelers were in that game was because of the seven free points they got off that strip fumble uh, that set them up in the deep red zone. Anyway, that's a whole nother tangent for a whole nother day. So let's get to the second level of the defense here. Uh, linebacker that you liked, and it's a linebacker that I love. I'm going to dunk again. Well, this was a guy that I had easily in my top 30. Kyle, who impressed? For the 49ers. Yeah, man. At the second uh, level. I keep trying to check. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's it's Fred Warner. I mean, he's he's the best in the business. He had 14 tackles. He was targeted 12 times. He allowed 57 yards in coverage. They have this check where if there's empty, he just mans up on the number three receiver. So it doesn't matter who it is. He just mans up on him. That's how much confidence they have in Warner. That's not that's not normal. Like teams don't do that. Hey, you have this guy. Oh, he's not a guy. He's a receiver who runs a four, four. And, and again, he's not giving up anything, man. So he broke up three passes. Uh, one of those came on a fourth down where he got into the passing lane, uh, batted a pass from Kyler. He forced a fumble. He recovered a fumble. I, I don't know, man. I, every week he does this every week. He makes special plays. He's, he's all over. He's running like a guy with his hair on fire. He's running through blocks, slipping through blocks on screen plays, man. He's special player. Don't want to waste too much time because we say the same thing. We can just hype him up every week. 49ers are lucky to have a guy like that. Yeah. I mean, you're right though. When it, when it comes to like those three by one sets, teams really don't want to put their, their linebackers out there. There are certain coverages you can do that with, with, with the, where they have some help. Uh, I know that Seattle does that with, with KJ Wright at times, Bobby Wagner and whatnot. They're, they'll leave a linebacker on a wide receiver, but there are times, and look, I know this again. I'm going to bring up the Eagles linebackers because they're bad. Nate Gary ended up in a in a coverage against Chase Claypool in the Steelers Eagles game when they were in a three by one, and for some reason nobody called timeout. Nickel Roby Coleman is over to the right of Gary. He's looking back at Gary, going, "Hey, I can hear the audible. They're sending him deep. Get back, please." And Gary still just wasn't able to stay with him because I mean that's just it's not a reasonable ask of a of a linebacker but Warner does it on a daily basis and as a defensive coordinator that allows you to do so much when you have a dominant player that you can ask a lot of I mean the Los Angeles Rams do this all across their defense they ask Aaron Donald to dominate so they can use light boxes they ask Jalen Ramsey 
cover wide receiver one, we are going to roll coverage away from you, right? So they really put it on their superstars to be, you know, to be put in difficult situations so that they can be sound elsewhere and pour resources of their defense elsewhere. And that's what a guy like Fred Warner allows you to do. Let's go to the third level of the defense. And this is a cornerback from a team that we were talking about before as a, as a team that's getting hot at the right moment. Who is it? Yeah, man, Marlon Humphrey. He is a stud. I love watching that dude. So if an offense is going to run a double move against a cornerback, it's usually because they're either really good and you know you're not, they're going to be aggressive and they know what you want to run. So that's the only way that you can get a completion on them or the exact opposite. And in Marlon Humphrey's case, it's the former. So the Giants try to run an out and up on Humphrey against Sterling Shepard, who's a competent receiver. And Humphrey just pinned him to the sideline, had nowhere to, they had nowhere to go with the ball. And that kind of just set up how the game went along. So on the next play, Humphrey chases down Evan Ingram from the other side of the formation for a tackle. Humphrey was targeted two more times on the same drive, and both of those resulted in incompletions on the afternoon. Humphrey was targeted 12 times in coverage. He allowed four receptions for 51 yards and broke up three passes. He also had six tackles. He was active, active. And there's always context because as soon as you throw throw out those numbers, somebody's going to be like, well, he gave up 12.8 yards for reception. Well, (laughs) yes, that is true. So I wanted to walk through those receptions here. So Humphrey, the first reception Humphrey allowed was for a gain of four on a curl route with under two minutes to play in the half. And the tackle was inbounds. That is what we call a failed reception, meaning was not a successful play for the offense. There's a free idea. If you're looking to charge something in the NFL, you're Mm. welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So we also had a near defensive pass interference that I was going to lose it if they called it. Luckily, they picked up the flag, but another forced incompletion from Humphrey. So anyway, he gave up a 20-yard reception on a seam route, which is a Hank concept. I, I imagine you know what that is, a, three, a three-man a three concept to the same side where curl on the outside, whether it's a seam on this number two receiver and the number three receiver ran a post. I'm going to forgive him on that because in cover three, the corner has no chance. It, at the school that I used to coach at, we called that route concept money for obvious reasons. There's nothing that you can do for that. So that was the other reception that he gave up. The the next reception that he gave up did not come until under two minutes left in the game when it was a two-possession game. Mm. So he was balling out, man. He, he broke up multiple passes. They tried to get him in that two-minute that I mentioned. He almost jumped the slant route. Could have been a pick six. So Humphrey's cap number this year is $7 million. And what? it's $10 million next year. The Ravens are paying a top 10, probably top five cornerback, $17 million for the next two seasons total. Life isn't fair. Be more like the Ravens. Um, Humphrey's a superstar. He is, to me, one of the best one of the best cornerbacks in the game. This game was a prime example just because he does not give anything up. And he is they ask him to do a lot. So he's not just playing, you know, zone coverage. He's playing press. He's playing off. He's playing in the slot. He's following wide receivers around. He's a star, man. And yeah, $17 million. When I looked that up, I was I was honestly disappointed because I didn't know it was that cheap. That That's not even a bargain. That's like a steal. Goodell should outlaw that contract. It's not fair. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at it now, and the way it's set up is crazy. So he signed the five-year deal that's 97.5 mil, but it looks like like things don't really start to hit until 2022 and all the like the big time cash is up front and it's not impacting their that's crazy it's a how perfect they, deal yeah i don't know how it's allowed <laughs> seriously <laughs> that's amazing 
good for him. And Kyle, that that's good context too about like coverage analytics. Like I I like using them, but I feel that the the coverage stats always need like the most amount of context. And I know people reach out to like people that cover different teams and whatnot. They'll reach out to PFF and say, hey. You might want to look at this and see if you can get a, a correction on it because it wasn't this guy's fault. Like I've seen Jalen Mills credited for a 75-yard touchdown against Deshaun Jackson, which is like Malcolm Jenkins just completely voided the middle of the field. It's impossible to ask that of, of Mills with outside leverage in this coverage against that route concept and whatnot. So all of those those contexts, you know, that 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 nuance is uh, definitely important when you look at those. Uh, so Kyle, I mean, that's what we do here. We watch the we watch the film. We break it down. We tell you why the nerds are stupid. Not, not really. Anyway, Kyle. Uh, <laughs> any last words for the uh, gentle listeners before we get out of here? No, I got nothing, man. Enjoy these games coming up. It's going to be wild playoffs. So what I would want to end on is as we see these teams, it's always going to be the team that's peaking at the right time. And that's why we're so high on the Bills right now. That's why we're high on the Ravens. Uh, the teams that are playing well right now tend to carry that into the playoffs. Yeah, look out for those guys. They're coming for you, Chiefs, Pete Sweeney. <laughs> Arrowhead Pride. Anyway, gentle listener, go dominate. Have yourselves a day. <laughs>